Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. This is Amy Bird, and today I am here with with only one of my co-hosts. Um, I'm here with Todd Pruitt. Carl Truman is vacationing, spending some time with his, as he calls it, mum. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, since Carl's not here, Todd, I was thinking, I was having a conversation with one of my friends, um, Kelly, and she had listened to our beauty podcast. Uh-huh. And she had a comment. She just said, you know, Carl mentions all these these shows and the weathermen are so beautiful in America and, you know, compared to Britain and and Europe. Mm -hmm. And she goes, maybe he didn't consider the fact that Americans are just better looking. Well, see, I wanted to break in at that point because I mean, (laughs) let's face it, you know, you compare the average British person, which, you know, let's be honest, it it always looks like somebody crashed a dirt truck into their mouth. (laughs) And, um, you know, I mean, there's just, there is a beauty gap that I think needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, yes. it needs to be acknowledged. And, you know, I, we're not being beautist um, <laughs> for acknowledging that. Um, it's just the reality. And right. so, um, you know, there's a reason why I am significantly better looking than Carl Truman. It's because I'm American. It's the beauty right. gap. Absolutely. Well, right, good. Well, we good settled that. that straight. Yep. Yeah. I just wanted to thank my friend Kelly for offering, Absolutely. offering that to us. Okay. Well, today we wanted to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and, and it involves a, a pregnant teenager, and she lives near me. She lives in my state, so it's kind of local. I've heard, you know, I read, first read about it in local news and, and even people who knew the family, and it's this news story about Maddie Runkles, a young woman who maintained a 4.0 grade point average as a senior in her private school, a Heritage Christian Academy. And like everyone else in the school, she signed a pledge to avoid premarital sex, drugs, and alcohol, and did not, as we now see, honor that pledge. And she became pregnant. She was repentant. She struggled with this consequence um, and the shame that it would bring upon her and her reputation and her family's reputation. And... um she confessed to her parents and then to the school with her parents' support about this pregnancy. And the school's first reaction was that she would be stripped of her office of president of the student council and that she would have to continue the rest of her classes at home. She would not be able to attend the school anymore to finish out her senior year and that she would not be able to walk at her graduation with her fellow classmates. She was understandably upset, but knew, you know, when she signed the pledge that those were consequences. However, she asked if instead of the principal sharing this with the school, that she had broken the the pledge and and publicly confessing that to the student body, um, that if she could, and that she could ask for forgiveness. And um, she was hoping that she could be restored to be able to walk with her classmates and finish out her senior year. She was able to go back to and return to her classes. She did publicly go before the school in a very, you know, teary confession and plea for forgiveness. And then 
she still was not able to walk with her graduating class. And so what happened is the story just kind of spread like wildfire. I couldn't yeah, believe it has, I was seeing yeah. it, like, I think on the New York Times, Life News, mm-hmm. um, a pastor in Washington State, Sam Powell, I really appreciate his writing. He wrote a great article. She was on some of the morning shows, mm-hmm. I believe, um, and Christianity Today just wrote an article right, right. about it. So a lot of people are now talking about pregnant teenagers and Christian schools and, and being pro-life and the friction here on how we handle these issues, these yeah. issues. And it is, it, it, it's a very tense sort of topic. And it's one that causes a lot of disagreements, even among Christians. And I, I think, um, Amy, you and I were talking earlier. And one of the things that you and I agree upon on this particular story is that the decision to forbid her from walking with her class at graduation was, was a real misfire by the school. Again, we're dealing with someone who was publicly repentant and the way that a Christian community deals with a repentant sinner is different than you deal with an unrepentant sinner. And it's not whether or not there are consequences. This young lady knows firsthand that there are consequences to sin. She's going to know throughout her pregnancy that there are consequences to sin, but there is also to be comfort for the repentant sinner. Right. And that's where I think the school made a poor decision in refusing her the chance to walk with her class because it functions as kind of a, uh, well, not kind of a shunning. It really is an act of shunning that adds to the shame that this young lady is already going to experience just by virtue of the fact that her sin has public consequences. And I think that that's probably what makes out-of-wedlock pregnancy such a scandalous sin among Christians is that the reality of it you can see every day mm-hmm. on that person's body, so right. to speak. Everybody's going to know. Right. And it's public in that way, but... Um, I have a real problem with her actually having, and she she wasn't made to go before the school and mm-hmm. and confess, but I think right. she did that trying to restore herself. Right. And I actually think the leadership of the school should have stepped in there and covered her shame in that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and helped her through that process by them coming out with an announcement that would be approved by her and her parents. Right regarding her sin and her repentance, because it's not a sin against the whole school. Sam Powell does a good job Mm -hmm. of writing about that in his article, How Shame Drives Us Away Mm -hmm. from Christ. It's not a sin against the whole school. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't cheat on a test or defame school property or commit a criminal act in the school. It's, It's a it's a private act mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that has public consequences. Right, right. I, you know, one of the things that I struggle with, uh, because I've, I've dealt with this in families' lives as, as a youth pastor and then a pastor, right. and one of the things that you said there was, was how we have, I, in my ministry, have sought to deal with that in these situations, where you have a young lady and a young man, because there's two people involved in that right. sin, who transgress biblical sexual boundaries and sin in that way, where there is repentance, Mm -hmm. one of the things you want to do is to use that as an example of the goodness of repentance to your church. And so so you don't then take that repentant sinner 
and make them pay for their sin in a way that undermines the beauty of repentance. Right. So what, what I've never made a young person who has sinned in this way and then repented go before on their own a body of people to publicly talk about their sin, but rather as a pastor, I have done that on their behalf in a way that instructs the church how it is now that we embrace the repentant sinner and how with the repentant sinner, you don't heap shame on that person because there's repentance. Mm -hmm. And all of us seated here together are repentant sinners and have been gloriously washed of our shame by Christ. And now we have an opportunity as a body to do that for our brother and our sister here now. And again, you're able to do that for the repentant sinner. Yeah, and it, that's what also makes me question the function and effectiveness of such a pledge or mm-hmm. contract that these teenagers are asked to sign. Right. You know, on one hand, it's a Christian school, right. and so they're going to promote holiness. They're going to mm-hmm. have a higher standard in morality than right. a public school. Well, they're going to have Christian moral standards, mm-hmm. and they want to promote that, and they want the parents to know that. Mm-hmm. And they want the kids to know that. Right. And they want the kids to, in one sense, sign off on that. But mm-hmm. on another sense, I don't see any category in these contracts or these mm-hmm. pledges for the repentant sinner. Right. Right. And, yeah, I've and, never I've never seen that category. And I've seen several of those. We had our kids in a Christian school for a time, and you have to sign something like that. But I, yeah, I, I have not personally seen. And here's how we respond to you when you repent, uh, sort of. Right. And so that really differs from the way we're treated in our own church, you know, in, in the Christian church, right. where we know the high standards for holiness. We know the means mm-hmm. that the church uses of grace right. for sanctification and also for discipline mm-hmm. and, and to restore us. Right. It shows a real hole, something that's really mm-hmm. lacking in a Christian school. It leads them to condemnation, right. but not restoration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, so I, I agree with you as far as obviously a Christian school is going to have certain standards that a public school isn't going to have and may not even be allowed to have. And it's right and appropriate. If the goal of a Christian school is to partner with the Christian parent, then obviously there's going to be some of those standards set in place. So the question is, though, is a signed contract effective at all? Well, you know, obviously people are still going to sin, not just kids, but but adults. You and I are both in Presbyterian churches and you take membership vows. I took vows before the Presbytery. You took vows before the congregation in your church, knowing that we still struggle with indwelling sin. But in the church, there's a mechanism scripturally to deal with that if that happens. I would hope that a school, a Christian school in this situation would have a mechanism in order to, how do I partner with this family and this church, this Mm -hmm. child's church, to help them towards repentance? Right. Uh, Not just to punish them because we're their school, but... Right. Now she's on the outside. She's excluded from this community. Right. And so the hope then for a Christian school is, how do I come alongside the parents? And the church that this family belongs to, and how do they help me as a school, not the other way around, but how do they help me as a school Mm -hmm. um, respond to these things? Now, again, a school has to have certain standards. But if you're a Christian school, you want to be sure those standards are informed by the gospel. Yeah. Right. The other thing these contracts do is kids learn how to still break the contract without getting caught. You know, like she got caught. 
mm-hmm. because yeah. she got pregnant. But she says she, she knows she other kids who had broken the other rules mm-hmm. or that same rule. Sure. And even some of them were caught in that yeah. school. And they, they still lied about what they had done. And she came forward and right. told the truth. She showed true repentance. And again, the fact that she kept the baby, <laughs> you know, she knew then that there was going to be evidence of her sin. And, you know, the hope for a young lady who sins in this way and repents, repents by acknowledging the sin, repents by keeping the baby. What you hope to do at that point is not heap shame on that child, because the risk there then is that the church intends or or sends the very dangerous message that, you know what, you're safer to abort the baby. Right. You're just That's a real struggle. The baby. Right. I mean, you know, when you haven't committed the sin and you haven't had the consequence of a pregnancy, you know, and premarital sex, then it's easy to say that you choose life. Right. When you are in that situation yeah. and you know how you're going to be shamed right. and the other students in the school see how she was treated. Mm-hmm. What message does it send? I mean, Mandy Runkles herself said. It sends the message that maybe you should have gotten the abortion because mm-hmm. we could forgive you for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next girl in that school going to do who gets yeah. pregnant? And here's the thing. I mean, this is a time, you know, this age, 17, 18, that's a time in your life where your faith really starts becoming more your own. Mm-hmm. Right. You start mm-hmm. asking more questions. Your integrity is challenged. Right. right. At that age more. It's not just your parents' faith or your school's faith. It, it becomes mm-hmm. your faith. or and as you're asking these questions, you, here she failed in sexual sin. She did. Mm-hmm. Yep. But she showed repentance and integrity in right. facing her future with her faith, you know, with, right. with this child and doing the right thing, you know, right. and stepping forward. And that's where I see a real harm done by the school mm-hmm. here, because mm-hmm. here's a situ- situation that not only tests her faith, but theirs as well. Right. And how they respond, you know, can Christ mm-hmm. cover her shame? Absolutely. Right, right. And, and what some people are going to do is they're, unfortunately, they're going to misconstrue what we're saying here as, well, Christian schools, churches, they shouldn't have standards, which is not what we are saying. Right. What we are saying is that when a sinner repents, you mm-hmm. treat that person much differently than you treat the unrepentant sinner. The right. scripture is very clear about the church's response to an unrepentant, hard-hearted sinner. Scripture's very clear about that. But because of that, we're also quite clear in what our response should be to the repentant sinner. And it's very interesting. In 2 Corinthians, Paul goes back and basically rebukes the Corinthian church because they haven't forgiven somebody who they disciplined earlier who now has repented. Right. And, and it may very well be the same guy that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 5, who had refused to repent and they hadn't disciplined him. Well, it comes to 2 Corinthians, and now you've got a guy that they've kicked out of the church because of unrepentance sin. He's repented, and now they won't let him back in, yeah. and he has to rebuke them for not forgiving him. And so in the case of this young lady, there doesn't even appear that there was a first step of hardness of heart and lack of repentance. Mm-hmm. It seems that what you had from the beginning was an acknowledgement of sin, a willingness even to go before the whole school, which had to be incredibly difficult. Although, you know, I would commend her for doing that. I wouldn't have made her do that, but I, I commend her for doing that. And how 
you treat that person as real different from how you treat right. the unrepentant sinner. And, I want to so, read something that Sam yeah. Powell wrote regarding what you're saying. And he said, the worst part of what happened to this young woman is that she learned about a false Christ. A Jesus who shames sinners, who turns an angry and harsh face on those who confess and repent, who demands his pound of flesh before he offers peace. She was taught that Jesus first ridicules and gleefully watches us weep before he grudgingly offers forgiveness. She was taught that even after she goes through all of that, Jesus is still ashamed to be seen in public with her. She was taught that Jesus was ashamed to be her God, ashamed of her and her baby. No wonder young people are leaving the church in droves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, and that's a huge, huge error for the church when obviously outside of Christ, there is shame, you know, because we are still in our sin. But that's part of the miracle of the liberating gospel. Yeah. Is that it liberates us. Christ liberates us Mm -hmm. from the shame that we cannot get out from under outside of Christ. Right. And so for the church to reappropriate shame and put it on the child of God mm-hmm. is a repudiation of the gospel. Now, that is not to say that there aren't certain things about sin that are stigmatizing. I mean, I ought to feel bad about sin, but that's different mm-hmm. from shame, the shame right. that Christ frees us from. If I'm cruel to my wife one evening, I ought to feel bad for that because I need to repent of that. Right. But that's different from the debilitating shame that Christ died to free me from. Mm-hmm. You know, that impulse to feel bad about my sin is the Holy Spirit's witness in me to prompt me to make something right when I've erred. But that's very different from shame. Mm-hmm. Very different. Yeah. Um, you know, the one, you know, shame uh, pushes me away from Christ and from that's, people. That's exactly what Sam Powell was writing. It's, yeah. it's, it pushes you, of, it makes you go hide in the bushes like Adam right, and Eve. Right. Conviction <laughs> you know? of sin pushes me to Christ. Conviction of sin helps draw me nearer to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. And that's very different from shame. And are we as a community, and I mean, so we're talking about some differences here because this is a Christian school. Right. Her church came behind her. Mm-hmm. And they did offer her that grace Good. and they are supporting her and same with her parents. Yeah. So those are both really wonderful to hear. Mm-hmm. But then there's this situation with the school. And, and like I said, I wish that the leaders of the school would have not had her personally have to confess before. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. think that's shame. Yeah, I would not have insisted on that. And, and, and it still wasn't good enough, you know, so. Right. right. It's right. just hard. And who else do you see doing that besides pregnant teenagers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who does else kid, has does, to do that? Yeah. Does the kid who gossips or lies at school right. have to do that? And um, there's real reasons to keep people from walking, you know, oh, sure. even in a public school. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheating, uh, crimes committed. Um, failing. For, for sure. Yep. <laughs> failing. Right. Taking property. Right. You know, s- some, some are going to hear us and, and wonder, okay, so then what is the right response? Let's say a young unmarried lady in in your church comes up pregnant. What is the right thing to do? And I've had to navigate this with families over the years. And when I was growing up, I saw, you know, pregnant girls have to, you know, come before the church and and confess their sin. And that's not the path I have followed because I don't think it's wise and I don't think it's helpful. What I've done before in, in the not too distant past is when a young lady has gotten pregnant, She's a member of our church. She's confessed Christ. She's received the sign of the covenant. She's in a Christian family who are in our church. And that family has come to us as pastors to say, look, here's the situation with our daughter. She's gotten pregnant. We meet with her. She repented. She knows that it was wrong. We can see that. We can see the fruit of her 
conversion and the fact that she's repenting of her sin. She knows it was wrong. At that point, we pray for that girl. We also want to protect her from some of the goofiness that can go on in churches, like gossip and and that sort of thing. And so what I did at one occasion in the not too distant past is composed a statement along with the help of the family Mm -hmm. and came before the church and said, hey, look, you know this family. They're members of our church. We love them. You're going to see this young lady clearly as the days go by. She's pregnant. She's mm-hmm. in our high school ministry. You know, she's not married. You're going to see this. Let me mm-hmm. tell you what's going on. She has right. voluntarily, she went to her family. She confessed <clears throat> the sin. She's met with appropriate leaders within the church. And we can tell you personally that we see evidence of repentance. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, she, as our sister in Christ, who's repented of sin, is not to be shamed She's right. not to be gossiped about. She is to be loved just like everybody else in this congregation. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, we're very thankful that she chose to give life to this child. Right. And so when you see her growing in her pregnancy, give thanks for the fact that she chose to do the more difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And she chose the road of integrity right. and character by giving life to this and child. And the pregnancy itself is not a sin. You and know, pregnancy is not a sin. And right. so she's repented of the sin, which mm-hmm. was premarital sex. Mm-hmm. Her pregnancy that you see is not a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, pregnancy is never a sin. Premarital right. sex is sin, but pregnancy is not a sin. Right. And so I was able to instruct the church. The church was deeply moved by that. And now as they've seen this girl pregnant, there's no scandal involved. Right, right. They know that this is a sister in Christ who's repented of her sin, and now we're really glad that she is honoring and treating with dignity the life mm-hmm. that is in her. Right. And we didn't humiliate her. She right. knew that that was happening. She and her family. She's already humiliated enough. On her already end. humiliated enough. The fact that I was able to come before the church and give them assurances and praise this young lady for doing the right thing after the sin mm-hmm. was like the weight being lifted off the shoulders. Right. I mean, that also spares them from having to go tell each person, you know, right. and, exactly. and explain everything yep. over and over and over they again. They don't have to do any of that. Right. The church took care of her. And, and as another, she repented. you also don't know, was this an abusive relationship she was in, you know, like there's a lot of shepherding questions to ask to help protect this girl at first. And, you know, and if it is just a boyfriend and and girlfriend taking it too far into sin, well then she needs counseling there too, of how to move forward. Her life is going to be different from here on out. It's going a trajectory that she'd never planned on. And again, what the church and what the Christian community needs to do at that point is to say, young lady, We don't have to tell you that sin has consequences. You know that now. But we want you to know that we're really thankful that you chose the much more inconvenient path of treating this little one with dignity. We're really thankful you did that. And because of that, the church or the school or what treat the baby with dignity as well. Exactly. And so because of that, because you did the right thing. We're going to come alongside in whatever way is helpful for you to assist you in this. Obviously, you've got a family, thank God, who's going to be helping you with that. Mm -hmm. And we're going to rejoice in the life of this little one. Right. Yes. 
That is such an important point, I think, yeah. rejoicing in the new life, because there is the uh, Christianity Today article really focused on the tension between um, the Christian virtues that we uphold of chastity right. on the one hand and life yep. on the other hand, that there's a real tension when you have a teenage pregnancy or mm-hmm. out of wedlock pregnancy, yep. seeing, you know. Yep. And so when you fail in chastity, as the church, what we want to be able to say to the, to the young lady is, we're not going to shame you into committing the other sin right. too. And it's just a picture as well to the rest of the community. Choose life <laughs> because I think the picture that maybe the young women, I should say, in that mm-hmm. school saw was it would be much better to get an abortion easier, less embarrassing. And it is, it is easier and less embarrassing. It is, but I can't bear this shame. I can't bear this humiliation and this treatment by my own community. Um, if I'm repentant as well, I mean, exactly. And so when you go beyond the appropriate conviction of sin that leads us to repentance, when you go beyond that and seek to add to it shame, which Christ died to remove from us, then what you do is you undermine the gospel and you undermine that child's faith that Jesus is a real savior. Right. Exactly. I mean, I couldn't put it better. So, you know, obviously, again, um, if anybody hears what we're saying and say, oh, you know, Bird and Pruitt are saying that sin doesn't matter or it's unimportant, wrong. Let me tell you, every family I've ministered to that has a child that sinned sexually and then got pregnant knows full well that there are consequences to sin and that sin can really mess up your plans and change your life in ways that you wish it hadn't changed. You typically, for a genuine convert, you typically don't have to convince them once in this situation that sin has, in some cases, some long-lasting consequences. This young lady, and praise God, her church and family are doing the right thing. This young lady is going to be able to bear witness that, look, All sins are equally damning before God, but there are some sins that can mess up your life even more. And so chastity is a a really good thing for you. Chastity is a really good thing. I'm so grateful I have this child, grateful for the Lord's providence in my life. But she will be able to give witness that, look, I can tell you firsthand that sin can have long-lasting consequences. She's not going to have to be convinced of that. And so we don't have to add something to her to make her understand that sin can do some real damage. Of course it does. If the gospel we proclaim is real, then Jesus offers something very, very liberating that the church has to learn how to embody. And the church has to learn how to apply to the lives of people who find themselves in this Mm -hmm. situation. And he uses these very things. Right. To reveal so much in our own hearts. Yep. And, for our own sanctification. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, as a repentant sinner, but now a mom, she's right. a mom. Yep. And she will be sanctified through that. Mm-hmm. And that child is a blessing now. Absolutely. So while she has a hard road for raising mm-hmm. a child at that age without the covenant of marriage coming beforehand and, and mm-hmm. all those consequences are there, that child is still a blessing. Yep. And if we say, choose life. It's because life is a blessing. Right. And it's a gift from the Lord. Exactly. And the child should not be stigmatized. 
you know, I, I hate the term illegitimate child. You know, they're yeah. illegitimate parents, but I hate the term <laughs> illegitimate child. And, you know, again, fortunately, you know, one of the blessings is that this girl is in a believing home with parents who love her and, and apparently understand the gospel and in a church that apparently understands the gospel. That's a really good thing. There's, you know, of course, we know across the nation there are many, many young women who find themselves in this situation that don't have the church. And so what you hope is that the church does this really, really well. Yeah, we should be modeling. Exactly. It's not a church, it's a Christian school. But the message and the reason why this story is spreading like wildfire through all these secular news sources is the message that it's sending. Oh, they're not really pro-life. They just say they're pro-life. Yep. And churches can err in two directions here. We all know that there are churches that don't take sin seriously. We see them all the time. But we also know, unfortunately, that there are churches that don't take the implications of the gospel very seriously either. And we err in going one of those two things. You know, it's such an otherworldly thing to say simultaneously. We hate sin. We hate what sin does. We take it seriously. We really believe what the Bible says about this sin. And we also believe that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more because of what Jesus has done. That's such a beauty of Christianity, you know, like that we could show that witness to the world. Right. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a challenging topic. As Amy said, this is a story that has gone viral. I've seen mentions of it all over social media from various news outlets around the country. These are opportunities. First of all, opportunities to love and restore a repentant sinner. Before it's any other kind of a public witness, we want it, first of all, to be an actual application of the gospel in the life of a real person like this young lady. But then after that, then it becomes a public witness. Are we going to proclaim and to model and to apply a gospel that was provided by a crucified Savior who bore our sin and bore our shame? We want to be able to give public witness to that and to show that within the Christian community, there is a response to the repentant sinner, which really models a salvation that was big enough and good enough to cover our sin. And we hope that this young lady will experience that in her church and in her family. We are grateful that she is bringing this little one to life. We rejoice in that, and we rejoice in this life that is to be born and pray that this child will know the Lord, will be raised always believing in Christ and will walk with the Lord, that would be a a wonderful, wonderful blessing and something that the church ought to be able to celebrate. So we hope this has been helpful. The church has got to deal with these issues in a healthy and Christ-centered way. The church has got to get this right, and we hope that we will. If you'll come to our website, mortificationofspin.org, we've got a free giveaway for anybody who comes. It is a free MP3 download of a message by James Montgomery Boyce called a psalm of repentance, a psalm of repentance. And again, the good news is that for the repentant sinner, there is full restoration. There is full forgiveness. There is full washing of shame. The repentant sinner does not walk in shame. And, uh, and we want to get that right. So um, be encouraged by this message. It's free to everybody who comes to our website, mortificationofspin.org. And while you're there, Just be reminded that Mortification of Spin is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd be so kind as to consider making a financial contribution so that the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals can continue to provide this website and continue to give Amy and I those Mercedes-Benz leases, (laughs) that would be awesome. Uh, But until we talk again next time, hopefully the less attractive Carl Truman will be with us (laughs) 
and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again at that time. Goodbye. Take good care of my baby. Please don't ever make her blue. Just tell her that you love her. Make sure you're thinking of her. In everything you say and do. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about Todd, what would you like to say that will totally offend most of our listeners? And, uh... and here's a shovel. <laughs> well, as you know, I like to avoid controversy at all costs. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, the origins of the term, uh, we really find it in, in the philosopher Aristotle. Uh, you know, justice for Aristotle was, was giving each person his due. The person who loves their neighbor as themselves is not going to be a racist. Right. right. Is and not if you're going preaching to that children. as a church yeah. and you are racist, then there's a huge problem. Then there's a problem. There's a total disconnect. It should be pointed out. That interview is next time. Join us then.